Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tej Talks Podcast. On the show... I have someone who is going to be speaking at my upcoming networking event. Yes, exclusive, a first ever public speaking gig. It is Charlotte Edwards, who is very, very inspiring. Her story is, I'm not going to go into it here. You're going to have to listen to find out. But essentially, imagine being, you know, a marketing manager, having a job, chilling with your kids, you know, doing your thing. And all of a sudden, you've got a field, a planning permission for 25 units, a seven figure bank loan landed on you. And you need to develop it. And you have no prior experience whatsoever. And this bank loan has a timeline to be paid back. So yeah, imagine being in that situation. And then coming out of it, you know, building out the site, 6 million GDV, built a 1 million pound BRR portfolio. Yeah, you know, this story is is epic. And there's so much that happens and so much that goes into it from start to finish. And I really hope it inspires all of you because it really inspired me. Don't forget, I have written two books. People are so confused, like I don't say it enough. Um, my first book is on Amazon. My second book, guess what, is on Amazon. Thank my lord, my my overlord, Jeff Bezos. All the billions of pounds at the back end of Amazon is so shit. Anyways, I digress. Go and get my books. Type in Tej Talks. They're both there. They're both amazing. Charlotte, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for listening to every single episode that I've ever made. Um, yeah. because you are not just a, a follower or a fan, you are a super fan because I don't know how many episodes I have. You can probably tell me, but there's like 180, maybe 200. So yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of Tej in your ears, but, uh, I appreciate that. And I love when listeners become, you know, podcast guests because I didn't know your story. I think I followed you on Instagram. Just you followed me, you know, as you do got talking, saw some of your posts, loved the reels you were posting. And then I sort of noticed, I suppose, a shift in, I don't want to say the quality of content, not to say it was bad before, but like a shift in kind of your confidence on camera, the kind of humor and actually being like, oh, I can kind of see who Charlotte is kind of in a real personable sense. And then when I found out your actual story, I was like, wow. You know, this is like super, super inspiring, especially for people who, you know, might be in similar situations or or might not believe in themselves or believe that they can do, you know, the kind of thing that you're doing. Now, obviously, as we get to your story, people are going to be pretty amazed because, you know, um, yeah, you didn't start small, should we say, and you didn't start maybe in a kind of traditional route. But before you got into property, what were you doing? What was your life? Um, So I had quite a comfortable um, life as a freelance marketing consultant. I had some great clients. I kind of picked and choose what I wanted to do. Um, Yeah, I had, you know, went on a few holidays a year. Had a great time, like really low stress. Um, Yeah, it was nice. It was a nice existence. And then everything changed in 2019. So, yeah, that's that's when it all turned for me. And in 2019 so as you were sort of having living your life am i right in saying that your dad and your brother had they they were running a long-standing property development business yeah that's right it's been it'd been going for 30 years um they kind of worked like on site you know project managing and getting the hands dirty and grafting and you know they were on a site where they'd just finished like 35 houses they'd just come to the end of that um and then um tragically um they both got diagnosed with cancer um first my brother he was only 28 years old um and unfortunately they couldn't find um a treatment for it in this country we tried abroad we took him to istanbul um we tried various treatments there unfortunately it wasn't to be and he um passed away after 9 months um and then a couple of months after he passed away, we found out my dad had also got cancer, different type of cancer. He'd got lung cancer um, and he passed away very quickly within six weeks. 
Um, so that left obviously a huge emotional trauma um, and a business with nobody at the helm. So yeah, stressful times. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that's something that I suppose none of us ever expect. And yeah, there's not really any words to kind of say, you know, to, to even explain how you would feel and did feel and feel it, you know, in that situation after experiencing that. And, you know, before this happened, like, you know, you said it was, it was a family business as such, cause your dad and your brother were running it often, you know, family businesses, but you know, everyone else in the family kind of jumps in or maybe ends up working in the business or, you know, it kind of spreads out a little bit. Why didn't you sort of get into property development with them or, or maybe do their marketing or something like that before when they were running it? I would say that my dad was very old school um, with some fairly outdated views on women in construction and property. So um, he wasn't um, the most open to that, to, to me joining the family business. In fact, it was funny because my brother really didn't want to be in it and he was almost forced to do it. And then I actually had a genuine interest in it, but was sort of like, ushered away because um sort of in his words it's not really the place for a woman so um I've got the utmost respect for my dad and you know I appreciate everything he did for me but um yeah he I mean you've got to laugh at it really because it is quite an old-fashioned view isn't it but that's how it was and actually that's how it still is you know the construction industry is still I think only one in eight women are working you know one in eight of construction workers are women so it's a cultural thing I think yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is. I think the construction industry is backwards in many, many, many ways, you know, from the the structural mm-hmm. systemic kind of inequality that you're talking about there, but then all the way down to the individual attitudes of people, mainly on site, I think, in construction. But then when you look at the kind of level, you I mean, look at board members of RICS, look at board members of other institutions in property, and it's literally the same face in a suit over Mm -hmm. and over again um you know that inequality runs and that i suppose privilege runs across you know more than gender right it runs across a few different things and you know from your experience then like you know now obviously we'll get to your story but being in an industry where like you said one in eight women are working construction i mean i actually saw i've never ever seen or met a female tradesperson and the other day I went on site my neighbor's house is getting done and there was a bricklayer and she was a woman and I was like I'm like why am I surprised like what why is this not common you shouldn't be shocked like I'm shocked when somebody turns up on site um and, and is a woman so we have a woman who comes and measures our windows and I'm like wow a woman like you just like immediately drawn to them like it's one of me that's turned up on site <laughs> that's great but it shouldn't be like that um, but yeah, it, it's a rarity when you see someone. I've just found a female painter and decorator. Hmm. Um, and I've found a female um, uh, plasterboarder, dry liner. So I'm getting there, but th- there's not many around. There really aren't. And, you know, if you go on, you know, check a trade or anything like this, you know, I've, I've probably, I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of builders or, or at least come across them. And I, you know, less than 5% have been women. And it's just, yeah, you know, I suppose there's many things in there that we can't cover in a podcast that kind of create this atmosphere and this culture and this old school kind of behavior. But in your kind of personal experience, and obviously people are going to sort of find out next what you've been doing, how have you found it? And have you, and do you think that, you know, people have treated you differently or viewed you differently or not believed you or had kind of negative experiences um I think when it first happened so when my dad passed away like all all the people around me just said look you can't do this you're not going to be able to do it and actually those people were all men now come to think of it but but they you know it was very like you don't think you can do this like this is a mistake like don't leave all your con you know don't leave your marketing contractor roles just you know keep keep going with what you're doing but I don't know I just felt like I had to do it and, you know, with the fine, it was in a certain financial situation, which we'll get on to, but um, yeah, I didn't really have much of a choice, if I'm honest. Um, so I think when you are forced into a situation where you have to do something, you do kind of level up and you, you end up making the best of it. And 
I think I've done an all right job, to be fair. <laughs> I think you've done a fantastic job. And I think the people listening, when we talk about your your story, are, are, are going to agree too. So if we go back to the story, um, so, you know, unfortunately, brother, father passed away, you know, their business was, you know, running for 30 years. So obviously very experienced, has a history, you know, maybe a legacy, you know, and mm-hmm. potentially has paperwork, documents, everything written down to help you start. Oh, you'd think that, you'd think that, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would think that. But no, no. My dad was a, a fag packet man. Like the deals were calculated on the back of a fag packet and, um, you know, everything was in his head. So there was really very, very little paperwork um, or plans or, you know, financial calculations, anything like that. It was it was all in his head and, and it worked for him for 30 years. So I can't knock it. But when it comes to trying to take over something like that, you know, you're starting from scratch um, and you've got to find all the information. And, you know, finding information about property investment, let's call it, which is a different level with, you know, buy-to-lets, flips, HMOs, you can spend a couple grand and you can find them or you can get them. You know, it's, I think it's fairly accessible. And in fact, it's a minefield and there's lots of choice. Development, on the other hand, is a lot harder. Um, It's a lot more difficult as a business and therefore to get that information as well it's not as sort of open and it's not as sort of out there as the other stuff is a lot of developers are quiet compared to us investors who like to shout a lot um so at this point in time you know also you've got a business here which these men are telling you you can't run and as you said you leveled up and said well actually I'm, i'm gonna did they have any active deals on or was it a quiet period yeah so what had happened was there was a site for with planning permission for 25 houses which they which he purchased months before he'd passed so and as i later find out that how he'd done that was he'd taken out a bank loan um to to purchase that um and another bank loan to funds from the construction so when i checked the bank account i was like okay that's fine you know we're in credit that's great and then find out that was all loaned money that had to be paid back so I was effectively starting on well minus seven figures basically so oh wow I was like okay there's some work to be done here um yeah so I turned up on site it was a muddy field there was a couple of bases in a couple of concrete bases um I had a team of guys who stayed some left some left some stayed um the loyal ones stayed obviously (laughs) and yeah we just rebuilt it from from literally the ground up so I I had to learn everything I just showed up every day and I sat and chatted with the bricklayers and the ground workers and all the other trades and just annoyed them by asking them loads of questions I guess um and you know you simplified that because you know the amount of graft you've had to put in and which we're going to get to and everything you've had to do, you know, by yourself, really, um, with this seven figure debt, which is, it is what it is, you know, literally hanging over your head with, mm-hmm. you know, a timestamp on, you know, needing to pay it back yeah, or get repossessed, which is, which is the blunt truth of what happens. Mm-hmm. And you had a field which had planning permission. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. But it was for 25 houses. Yes. So you talk about this so casually, right? But like for, for anyone listening to this, you know, doing one new build is tricky. Doing one bloody refurb is tricky. But jumping in with this debt, with, yes, planning is done for you, woohoo, you know, that's kind of ticked off. But you're grieving at this point as well, let's not forget. And yeah. you've got 25 houses. Like that is not, look, okay, that might be small to someone, but that ain't small. Like. No, it wasn't small to me. <laughs> yeah. And. And the fact that you had a job that was unrelated, yeah, there mm-hmm. is marketing and property less, you know, but really it's, it's unrelated and you now have no time to grieve and zero skills in this industry, apart from your normal business life skills. And you had 25 houses to build with a deadline, working with people who by their nature often try and pull the wool over your eyes and get away with stuff, even when you know what's happening. And you didn't know what's happening. Like this is like a shitstorm that you have managed to create amazing houses from with. Well, 
it gets worse because you you what you're leaving out is two months into me starting covid hit so lord okay everything shut down the builders merchants shut their doors um all the sites around us were shutting down i was like i was just thought you know what this is this this is bad this is bad time to learn how to lay some bricks maybe i think maybe that was a, a sign there well, the la- you know what? The subcontractors that work for us, they didn't want to stop working. They wanted to carry on working. So we were one of the very few sites that actually stayed open. I mean, it, government advice was that construction could stay open. So we did stay open. But a lot of the sites around us had shut down. I mean... The merchants shut down. So, you know, there was an issue getting materials. And again, this is at a point where, you know, two months into it, you're still learning and now you're hit with this, like, uh, okay, bricks, mortar, where are we, where are we getting these from? Where are we getting DP? You know, it's, there's so much to think about already without combining that with COVID, which just, you know, back then especially was unknown, was closing everything down, was destroying any sensibility or common sense. And, and it was, yeah. So how did you know, like, where to start and how to start? Because, Yes, there were some lads who stayed and they were kind of doing stuff. But how did you know to kind of say to them, like, I don't know, I expect you here every day at eight and we want this level of progress every day, you know, this many courses of bricks. How did you know how to start? I didn't. Do you know, to start with, I stayed quiet and I, and I just observed. I was like, okay, so what happens now? What do we need to do next? And I, and I let them tell me what needed to happen because I couldn't tell them. So I had to rely on them to tell me. Um, you know, it takes time to read books or listen to podcasts or or any of that kind of stuff. So immediately I just had to listen to them and let them tell me what to do. Um, and that's how I've learned, really, listening to other people. And did you trust, I mean, I assume they'd been with your family for years and years and years, right? They weren't just like new. Some, some of them had, yeah. Some of them, most of them had. Because you like, like I was saying earlier, like a lot of pe- lot of tradespeople will just do the minimum. We'll try and get away with stuff. We'll pull the wool over your eyes. So, did you know that about them and about the industry when you got into this? Um, I'm lucky that we've got a really good team, a small team. Like we have one of each trade, so we like have one joiner, we have one plumber, we have one electrician, a couple of brickies. So we we have a very small team. Everybody's responsible for their own job. You know, if something goes wrong, they know it's their fault. That helps having keeping things small. So we kind of only building one house at a time or two houses at a time, and that way it's easier to manage. And I can then learn. So the first few houses, I was obviously learning the process of how to build a house, which trades follow which. You know, just the real basics, probably what you'd learn at the first day of construction school or whatever. Which, by the way, they didn't let me into because I had no experience. But then, but what experience do they want you to have? Is school? And I, I know I tried, I tried, I was like, I wrangled these like construction courses. And I said, listen, this is the situation I'm in. Like I need to learn how to manage a construction site, how to build houses. And they said, well, how much experience have you got? I said, well, none. That's why I need to learn it. Yeah. And they said, well, sorry, you need a minimum of six months experience. Right. Okay. I mean, like, I don't really get that because you're paying to go to school. It's like, you don't, you're going there because you haven't got the experience. So that's, it's just it's ridiculous and i think you know it's fortunate that the trades that you know that were existing are responsible like that because you know for people listening you know in my opinion the majority of them are not going to be like that and you know trying to kind of do what charlotte did i suppose without a good team is just incredibly i mean it's difficult anyway but it's even more incredibly difficult if you don't have a team like that, because you know, some, some trades don't even want to talk on site, you know, like I, I did exactly what you did, Charlotte. I spoke to every single trade on site, learned everything I could. You know, I was, I laid my first brick yesterday. Like I, I, I'm still learning stuff. Um, and mo- you know, a lot of them are sort of happy to help, but you know, I think, yeah, it, it was just good that they took that responsibility and they knew what they were doing. And what about things like, um, discharging planning conditions and building regs. Did you have to deal with that? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so this was another thing. It's not just learning the the stuff on site, the you know the actual construction side of it. It's the legal side of it, the planning side of it. Um, 
it's a minefield. You know, Section 38, Section 106 is drainage, telephone posts. Like, oh, it's just, it goes on and on. There's all, there's still things that crop up now and, uh, you know, conditions that have to be discharged, bat boxes, bird boxes, um, drainage. It's, it is, there's so much. And all I can say is that I think I've finally built a team around me of like consultants or subcontractors that I can, whatever happens, I've got somebody that I can call and say, what do I need to do with this? And I think that is the only way to get around my situation and how I've done it is just building a really good A team around me that I can rely on. Yeah, I think that's solid advice for anyone in, in any situation, really. It's like, look, if, if you're not skilled in this, if you, if you aren't from a legal background or you're not interested, don't read your legal packs, send it to your solicitor. If you don't understand planning and you hate the bureaucracy and dealing with the council, get a planning consultant. You know, I think, yes, they all cost money. Yes, they, you know, cost time, whatever it is. But a professional is going to do a better job than us, you know? If I wanted a logo design that I went to a professional, it'd look a lot better than me on Microsoft Paint. So it's all about using the team around you and, you know, I suppose passing the kind of responsibility and liability to them to get it right because it's their thing. You know, drainage, like, even when I read planning applications just to sort of, like, upskill myself, I just look at some of these things and think, what? Like, you want us to dig that deep and put all of this piping in because you know, of this one little spot that has all this rain. It's just, then you've got flood zones and there's so much to think about with development. Like my checklist is like a hundred points, but my buy to let checklist is like six points. So Mm -hmm. and obviously we're going to talk about what you're doing now, but you're, when you look at buy to lets now, you obviously see the stark difference in the kind of things you're looking at and you're looking for. So, you know, with this situation you were in and the fact that COVID came along, you know, did you kind of formulate a plan and say, right, we've got X amount of time left on the loan. This is how we're going to build it, how we're going to sell it and what we're going to do? Yes. Um, I had to have several meetings with the bank manager to reassure him everything was okay. Um, do you know, I remember, I'll tell you about it. Bless him. My dad was in hospital and this was right near the end and he, he hadn't been able to speak for two or three days. You know, this was really near the end. And um, the bank manager actually paid him a visit to the hospital. Oh, wow. That he was ill and actually went in there. And I, I don't know how he did it. My dad managed it. But my mum was telling me this. She said he, he sat up in bed and he and he said, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's going to be fine. And, and she said he managed to hold a conversation with him for five minutes um, and then obviously when he left, he just went straight back into his kind of comatose state again and bless him. Was But, you know, he was even try, he was even pulling for the business in that situation, <laughs> just to, like, just trying to <laughs> reassure this bank manager that's fine. It's, everything's fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong, honestly. Um, so, yeah. But so I've actually found an ally in this bank manager, though, like he's really backing me now and and you know, the, those loans are repaid. I repaid them actually before they were due back in the end. Wow. Um, and I've said to him, like, you know, how are we fixed for future developments? And he said, yeah, you just give me a call. Like you've proved yourself. Um, yeah. You just let me know. So. Wow. And and that's what it takes sometimes. It's like, you know, especially when it comes to money and lenders, you pay them back, you pay them back early, you pay, you know, whatever it is, you pay them back. And I've heard this from Bridges. Literally, it's a big green tick on your profile. It's like, mm. okay, because that's the first concern. It's like, are they going to pay us back? And then it's like the interest and all the other fun stuff. But a lot of lenders, their first concern is, am I getting this back? And that's why they take that's why they take your nan as security. You know what I mean? They just, they take everything they can, um, mm. which, they, which- I think they were sense. actually, they were actually a bit disappointed that I paid it back early because obviously they were <laughs> interest. decent interest of that. Exactly. He was like, really? You sure you don't want to hang on to it for a bit <laughs> longer? Right? No, no, no. You have it. You have it back. I'm sure it was a nice earner for them. So that's obviously impressive to kind of go from zero to hero in terms of being able to pay it back early in on, on 25 houses, which again, I just, it's just crazy to think of. And obviously, you know, if we kind of jump back to your story there, like I suppose when you were starting out, the construction provider said no, you know, generally difficult to find this sort of advice. So what did you do? And I suppose, how did you use social media to boost your learning and your confidence? So, yeah, I ended up 
I mean, this is very lonely time. So I'm, I'm, I'm single as well. I'm a single mum. So I was going home at night and not really even having anyone to kind of share my day's story with or ask for advice or anything like that. So I ended up going on Instagram and just following property people, yourself included, was one of the first people that I started following and um, started learning from there really about property investment and financial management and was inspired by, for example, your story of how you built up your portfolio in such a short time. Um, Listen to all your podcasts, literally all of them. Um, when I was doing my yeah when I was doing my runs in the morning I was like right I need to learn but I also need to exercise so I just stick one on (laughs) run for as long as the podcast ran for so yeah learn from those um and yeah find Instagram great community such a good community on Instagram like made friends on there um ask for advice just get loads of encouragement as well it's fantastic um so, and you know, it's in your pocket all the time. So if you ever, you know, you want to speak to somebody, you want to show somebody what you're doing, um, or you just want to vent, it's like a bit of like, it's like therapy, you know, <laughs> like when we when I have issues, <laughs> I just stick a story on and just vent at it. Um, and then you get people messaging you back going, yeah, yeah, totally. You're totally right there. Yeah, it's brilliant. Just validate you <laughs> it is it you know what it does and that kind of like the therapy piece is so like people will say to me like oh you always post like the ups and downs and you always like just you're so good at it i'm like well i'm just literally venting i'm just using this as therapy and if you enjoy it you enjoy it and i remember watching some of yours um and i was laughing because like you either laugh or cry right in these situations and mm-hmm. I think we'd, we'd, we'd rather laugh, you know, together on Instagram than just be crying like, in the corner alone. And yeah, the community is so, so positive. Yeah, there's a few weirdos and whatnot, but that's life. Um, <laughs> So, so, so positive. And it's so like supportive. And, you know, there's some really good people on there, you know, who you can talk to, who you can message and actually who you can learn from. Like some people post some really good like technical stuff about like bricks and there's some people who post some really fun stuff and it's kind of everyone in between and a lot of people use Instagram to consume content but you Charlotte have at accidental female developer did I get it right did I get it right yes I yeah did. got it uh, you have been posting a lot of content you know you have been sharing things you have been entertaining us and engaging us what made you I suppose maybe take a shift from consuming and learning and maybe sort of venting on stories to actually really posting, you know, story highlights, reels, things on your feed. What was there a shift? Um, I think my confidence grew. So, uh, you know, to start with, I was consuming a lot because I didn't know what I was doing. So I was learning from other people. And actually, as I found my stride and I've got more confident, I thought, you know what, I can start actually replying to some of these or I can start actually posting my own stories and getting other people's advice and just feeling more confident about what I'm doing um I don't know if you can like remember like your first job after you left school or uni or whatever when you walk in and you you don't have a clue what you're doing like you don't even know don't even have a computer like you have to set everything up yourself (laughs) like it's so like you just you don't have a clue You, you don't even know people's names that you work with so to go from that to being able to kind of post a story or share an anecdote, I mean, it's been 18 months, but it's been a hell of a ride. So yeah, I enjoy sharing the journey now. And um, I love like the friends that I've made on Instagram and um, just like watching what other people are doing for inspiration as well. It, it's great. It's a really good community. Mm. And, you know, on a technical note, your engagement as a percentage, I know people, some people look at this, is very high, right? So you're posting clearly something, you're giving the people what they want. So yeah. people should go and follow you and, and learn about new builds. I know you had a few tours of like the first fix and all these other the bits and bobs on new builds. So speaking of new builds, you have taken a slight shift or maybe a big shift and are building up a buy, refurbish, refinance rental portfolio on the side. Is What's the reason for this? Because, you know, new builds is people think of it big profits big money big chunks every x many years and it's great why would you take a step back as some people might say and look at little buy to lets which give you you know three four hundred quid a month well when i started in development i started in a negative and 
I never wanted to be in that position ever again in my life. I wanted to have an income that I knew was secure. And especially being like a single mum, I needed to make sure that I had that income. Like if everything went tits up with the development business, I had to make sure that I could look after myself and my children. And having that financial freedom to have that passive income every month from rental properties and, you know, inspired by stories like yours of how you built yours up, I thought, well, you know what? I'm in property now. I can do that and I can do that on the side. And if anything goes wrong with this development, I've got that. That is my pension. That is my future. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, you know, because it is the most sort of, let's call it vanilla kind of investments to an extent that you can have. And it's it's kind of solid in kind of speech marks here, passive income, especially compared to you know new builds where, like you said, there is a, a huge level of debt, lots of costs, lots of things going out until the very end when it's like, ah, there's a profit 18 months later, two years later. Yeah. Um, and you know, in development, you never really have any money in your pocket because it's <laughs> always in the ground, right? And as soon, so I pay myself like quite a modest salary and then I, I take that salary and I put it into the BRRs that's what I do and and build up a rental portfolio that way. And then I live off that income because the, you know, the money that the developments generate, it goes straight back into the ground for the next one. Yeah. You're like asset rich cash poor all the time. All the time until you stop. And that's the only way you can keep the business going. And like, if you stop, then you're going to be hit with massive like tax bills and things like that. So really it's not in your interest to ever stop. (laughs) Like you've got to keep that going. It is, it is a sort of weird cycle where we're like yeah i want to build a portfolio to be free and then we're like i got 10 oh let me get 20 Mm, let me get 40 let me get and then you're like when was i ever free again because what i'm doing is working and reinvesting the money um but it it is quite nice i stopped buying because of covid silly mistake but anyway you know stopped buying because of covid blah, blah blah and the portfolio then sort of just became a cash generating machine and it was quite nice to kind of be like okay this is what i worked for and then i suppose you can get comfortable and be like oh well there we go it's sorted but it's nice you know because a lot of us just don't stop and kind of smell the roses and don't like stop and be like you know what this is the fruit of my labor and it's pretty sweet let me just let me just roll with it um so i would encourage people you know to (laughs) it's hard to do when you're like energetic and buzzing like we are like we're talking about right like oh next deal next deal next deal but yeah when it happens it's um it's quite nice and instead of doing traditional buy to let which is you know put 25 percent deposit down and then just that's it sit on your hands and carry on you were doing the buy refurbish refinance um for people who sort of are considering it why did you pick it over the traditional method do you know what, Tej? I'd never heard of buy, refurbish, refinance until I started listening to your podcasts. Oh, well. And then I read your first book and I was like, I got this. I know I know, I can understand how this works now. And I thought, I've got all the contacts because I've got them all working on the new build, on the development site. So I can do this. Um, so that's why I started doing it. Um, and buy, refurbish, refinance, as you know, you hopefully can pull your initial deposit back out, not all of it for me anyway but um yeah it's kind of it's a nice little model isn't it and I just personally love like there's something really satisfying of having a really shitty house and being able to turn it into something really smart and beautiful um I've almost finished one at the moment like three bed um end terrace ex-local authority house which was disgusting like it had like grease dripping from the ceilings in the kitchen like it like the smell was unbelievable. There was blood stains around the doorways. Oh. There was like, honestly, it was disgusting. Um, and I walked into it the other day, like after the painters and decorators had finished, and I was just like, oh, this is, so, it was so much more satisfying than a new build. I'm telling you, it's so much more satisfying. Um, it was just like, wow, it's gone from zero to hero in like eight weeks it took. That's bloody quick for your first you know, I know you've sort of done the new build for your first and for everyone, you know, listening, that is quick. It's very quick. Yeah, it's good. I mean, like there's some snagging to do, but you know, I, I'm really, I'm pleased with how it's gone. Um, and that, that house actually, I'm hoping it gets revalued soon, should give me a return of 36%. And that 
is why we do BRR. And that is why we do BRR. <laughs> do you know, I was actually going to turn that into an HMO. That's what I was considering. Mm. And I was like, hang on a minute, 36% return with no extra work. That'll do for me. So Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I say to people. It's like with a HMO, un- undoubtedly you get, you know, three, four times, you know, per month of the cash flow. That, that, that's a fact. Um, but the actual percentage return on paper isn't always as sort of as high as you think or as multiplied as you think. And 36% with a buy-to-let tenant probably going to be there for 10 years, you know, minimal voids, minimal maintenance because you've done it all, excellent authority, well-built, as you know, some of them, uh, you know, it kind of makes sense. Now, if you bought that as a standard buy-to-let, your return would probably be 8 10%, like on, on the deposit maybe. Yeah. So it's a no-brainer um and it's interesting though you said it's more satisfying than a, a new build i've had a lot of new build developers say new build is easier than than buy to let and, and like flips mainly the refurb stage but then yeah i suppose it is quite satisfying to take a blood-stained grease-dripping stanky um, local authority place mm-hmm. into something beautiful versus i mean some mud into some houses i i kind of get what you're saying there is a satisfaction but maybe i'm just bitter because i don't i don't feel that satisfaction anymore i'm just like relieved i'm like thank god that you lot are out of my hair and we're done and we can move on and it, you know what i mean i think i think that's just my bitterness of like fighting with builders and, and whatnot over the past yeah few years but look it works 36 percent. what you know you can't really argue with that and you know if we look at your kind of new build kind of experience like what what do you think was the single biggest challenge you had, you know, like taking over that site and getting it towards completion? Um, aside from the financial side of it, I would just say my lack of knowledge, just a plain and simple lack of knowledge of not knowing the first step to building a house. Um, because, it, you know, and it takes time to build up knowledge as well. It's not, well, you never really stop learning. Like every de- developer I've heard say, like, you never stop learning. So when you're starting from scratch, there's a lot to learn just to get the basics. Um, you know, and it's embarrassing when people turn up on site and they're like, oh, um, you know, well, there's something, something, the gable end. And I'm thinking, I don't even know what the gable end is, <laughs> um, you know, or they're like, oh, can you just uh, knit into town and collect us some, you know, U-bends for the uh, gutters? I'm like thinking, ah. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know what these things are. So <laughs> now I do, um, but you know, at the, at the time it's just everything is you just like it's an uphill battle just because of your own lack of knowledge. Mm. And you know, given obviously the huge challenges that you had and, and the, the sort of timing of it all, and you're halfway through the site now, right? Yes, just over halfway. So looking at it so far and then looking at it once you're finished and everything is sold or retained financially and also i suppose um you know for your development has it or will it be worth it yeah i think it will financially yes it's i think at the last count it was uh, about 6 million gdv on that site um you know what? I'm, I'm hoping that we'll make a healthy profit out of that. So the last financial year, 2020 to 2021, we just had the figures back. It was the most successful financial year ever. Um, I don't know how we managed that. Well, there's, I think there's one thing that's, there's one common denominator here that may have changed, that may have made that. I don't know what it could be, but. It wasn't COVID, put it that way. Um, so yeah, that, that, so that's because everything's going well. And then for me personally, like I absolutely love it because I love like doing something that people told me that I couldn't do. So that's number one, subverting expectations. Like people, like we have these guys turning up on site every, you know, at least once a month, someone will come up and say, um, excuse me, I'm looking for the man in charge. <laughs> I just honestly regularly happens. Um, so I'll be like, you ain't going to find him. Yeah. Yeah, good luck finding him. Yeah, <laughs> well, it depends who's uh, depends who's asking. So, so who's asking? <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I love it. I love it, and hence I've branched into doing the BRRs um, and also new build to rent as well. And do you miss being a marketing manager? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
you said that you said that with confidence and you said that in a half a second <laughs> i get it i feel it i feel it no i mean no i don't miss it at all and you know what it doesn't take long to forget if you don't do something for a while it doesn't take long to forget like i tried to um write a press release the other day and i i, I couldn't even remember like the most basics of of how to even structure it like it doesn't take long to forget stuff once you've stopped doing it mm absolutely it, yeah especially things like that like, sometimes there's technical bits and you're just like yeah wait what's from a previous life so your brs you have an interesting target right right so my, i set myself a target of 10 in 10 so 10 properties within 10 months i started that in march so i have now got seven they're not all rented out. Two are under getting renovated. You can't just say that's too casually. Hold on a minute. So you, <laughs> so you started in March this, yeah. this year. Yeah. And now we're in just starting September and the year, you know, the current market where, you know, prices are crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I got an auction on my screen. I was looking at earlier and yeah, it, it's, it's still mad and it has been. You purchased seven in how many months has it been? Five? Uh, six months. Six months. So, okay. And they've all been like BRRs that you've purchased below market value, et cetera, et cetera. No, the key, the key to me being able to achieve 10 in 10 was the first four were new builds. So what I was able to do was refinance them, to rent them out, and then use the finance out of those to buy the remaining six. That makes sense. And it's a good use of, you know, assets that are there and new builds as rentals and well maybe not the big new build developers the new builds that you've done as a rental great because maintenance you know should be none or or minimal because you've just done it and why do you have a goal of 10 in 10 i just needed something to work towards really um and 10 i think 10 would give me financial freedom like if everything else collapsed around me next week 10 houses with the rental income coming in off those would keep me on the straight and narrow and it would give me you know financial independence if the worst happened like I a couple of years ago I slipped two discs in my back Mm. so I was off work for like three four months while I had the surgery and then had to recover Um, and when you're self-employed like you've really only got yourself to rely on so you know I know if anything you know ever happened to me broke my leg whatever I've got an income coming in 10 was my magic number I think a lot of people choose 10 though don't they yeah, ten thousand pounds a month, ten property. It's just a nice kind of round it's number. A round number. It kind of fits nicely. I don't know. I might stop at nine, or I might stop at eleven or twelve, or I might go to twenty-five. I don't know. But ten was my target. I just thought, well, you know, pick a number and go for it. And you know, having is it two, it's two kids, isn't it? Yeah, I've got two. So yeah. you know, having you know, property generally gives us well, at some point, gives us more freedom, more time with loved ones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Has property kind of, obviously, I know you were consulting before, so maybe it was a bit more sort of freelance and sort of relaxed and spread out, but has property given you, say, more time with them or has it made you busier? Uh, no, it's definitely made me busier. <laughs> um, but I keep telling them, I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing this for the greater good because in the long term, you know, you'll have this property portfolio and I'll have loads of time to spend with you. But at the moment, I don't. So, you know, when they're asking to go to like Alton Towers and, you know Drayton Manor in the school holidays I'm like I can't because I can't leave the site or you know I've got meetings with the accountant or I've got this and that so bless them they they do get kind of pushed around from pillar to post while I'm trying to keep all the wheels turning Mm. but hopefully they'll appreciate it in time and plus look you know there's such labor shortages on on you know building site right now you got two two ones there get them get them all get a trowel in their hand and you get them on it they're like they have no interest whatsoever like I'll try and look around some like renovation projects with them they're like this is so boring this is disgusting I don't want to be here like really embarrassing you know in front of the agent or the homeowner it's just it's just not worth it they don't get it they'll get it when they're older yeah like it's you know kids I don't know what do they do these days tiktok and like video games yeah that's it all they're interested in is tiktok yeah basically Mm -hmm. yeah so but hey who knows you become a millionaire off tiktok they're they're probably doing what we should be doing instead of getting muddy and you know dripping grease and shit and properties yeah my son's got like twelve thousand tiktok followers he's nine can he give me like a coaching session then i'm I'm trying to you know break through on tiktok so maybe he needs to teach me how to 12 that bloody hell i know we could all learn. I should have him on the podcast then. What are you doing here? Maybe. Yeah. 
Um, what piece of software, app, or technology do you use that helps your business? Oh, Hammock. Oh, I use Hammock as well. Yeah, Hammock's really cool. Like just to um, um, like keep track of basically the rental properties, the tenant information, uh, whether the rent's been paid. Um, just gives like a nice little, and also your it links to your bank account, so you can monitor your expenses and then allocate them against each property. So it's just quite a nice little, and it's really nice to log in and just see like your rental payments coming in. It's just like really worth. I think it's like I think I'm paying like eleven ninety nine a month, but definitely worth every penny on that one. Yeah, I think I, I met Hammock at some event like years ago, and I started using it, and I've, I've had problems with it. So I'm not overly overly impressed with some elements of it, but. It's probably the nicest sort of looking. The dashboard is nice. The support is good. You know, it's like a, it's a startup, right? So it's kind of support is really good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like it for that. And yeah, like the email you get, I just got one today with like all the rental. You're like, cool. Yeah. This is nice, isn't it? This is good. It's good to see. And, and obviously, if, if someone's late or hasn't been paid, then it lets you know like instantly. So you can, you know, do what you need to do. Um, management of tenants. Are you self managing? I am self-managing. Um, How are you finding it? Well, I don't want to say easy because I'm going to touch wood, but uh, yeah, easy so far. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now something's going to go wrong. I know it is. But yeah, like so far, so good. I know I'm going to have a, like, I know I'm going to have an issue. I know there's going to, something's going to come up. It's the nature of dealing with people, right? But yeah, so far, so good. Everyone's paying the rent on time. But then I've only been at it a few months, haven't I? So Six months, I'd say, yeah. Um, it's you know what I, I I kind of agree with you. So the longest tenant I have is probably like two years, maybe. And generally speaking, if you put your protections in from day one, whether it's guarantors, whether it's depo- you know, with the deposits, whether it's doing checks on them, getting full credit reports, which I they, they you cannot be a tenant if for me if you don't give me a full full credit, you know, little things like that, and doing all the paperwork correctly. When you do all of that, I think it makes the management a lot easier because you kind of know you're protected, especially with like guarantors and, and taking the right references and things like that. It just, it does make it easier. And and to be honest, like literally 99% of it is done from my phone. And, you know, yeah, having the right contacts, having the right network, which, you know, you do given your you know local trades and things like that, mm. it makes life a lot easier. So and I, you know, I think yours at properties are a lot closer. Mine is 200 miles away and it's still not really, like I'm not giving a letting agent 50 quid a month per property to do this because it really does not take that much time. I joined um, NRLA. Oh, amazing. Um, and yeah, and they've got every, like everything you need on there. If you can like be bothered to read through it all and download it and use and, and do the process yourself, you know, you'll save what? three or 400 quid on getting an agent to, to do your tenancy for you. But I don't know, I might try an agent on the next one just to kind of compare and check. I've done everything right on the first ones. Actually, <laughs> I, I don't I can't be a hundred percent sure I've actually done it right. So yeah. maybe I might just try an agent on the next one. I would. I mean, I, I always use agents to find my tenants because that, you know, if you don't serve the tenancy correct and you try and evict them or anything like that, forget about it. It ain't happening. Like it's just pathetic. You have to do everything you know, to the nth degree, perfect, perfect for you to be protected. So I'm just like, listen, you can take the 200 quid, man. Just, just find someone, do all, deal with these people. Like, and plus I ask because I'm too far as well to do viewings. So Charlotte, what, apart from the kind of 10 in 10, I suppose maybe two part question, what is, you know, in the future for you, what's next? And after the 10 in 10, what's next on that side as well? Hmm. Well, um, on the family business side um, development, I have just agreed to purchase some barns. So we're going to be doing some Ooh. barn conversions. Is yeah. that under class Q or no? Um, I actually don't know what you're talking about. See? Got so much to learn. Oh, they've already got planning. They've already ah, got planning. Okay, fine. Because sometimes with agricultural buildings, there's a class Q permitted development. I think it's class Q where you can convert them into residential, but you have to keep the kind of outer frame. It's just the dumbest rule ever, but it can work really well for countryside developments when you've got these old barns literally storing horse shit in. You can convert them. So something to read about. I don't know if they're going to get rid of it or whatever, but it's kind of a a quiet, quiet thing that people don't talk about. But anyways. Yeah, I've not heard of that. Barns with planning. Are they like really pretty barns with like nice stonework? Um, Yeah, they've got a lot of original features that I'm going to keep um, and 
just just a different style you know new build houses are very boxy very square white pvc windows they are they are boring so this will be like really nice do something a bit you know tart it up a bit do it a bit fancy um and and like country style as well Mm. and they've got they've got land with them as well so they've got like i think there's like on a five acre site wow so there's potential for future planning game there as well um and i've also agreed to purchase a piece of land like um it's an old farmyard Mm. so that's got permission on it for three quite big houses with again some land with potential future planning gain at the back so Mm. yeah some like bit bit different to to perhaps what what my brother and my dad used to do in terms of you know they like the the straightforward ready-made new build box type houses whereas this is a bit more bit more bespoke you can Mm. put a bit more a few nicer touches to it you know the, the slate tiles and the the slate roofs and the kind of colored windows or you know the nice wooden front doors like a bit more proper countryside stuff that is yeah. proper countryside yes i do love that stuff i mean bespoke equals headache because of these old buildings and you know got to use the same you know norfolk replacement tiles and you know and so there's a lot of i think you have to love them you have to really like them to be like you know what I'm going to put the effort in to keep this old woodwork and we're going to sand it down and it's going to be beautiful as opposed to ugh, just putting your architrave in, you know, it's yeah. keeping that is like, you know, these old kind of, I've just finished a 200 year old cottage. It's not for someone who doesn't appreciate bricks and lime mortar and, you know, it just Georgian windows. And it really isn't for someone to come in and just new buildify it. It's like, you need to have some passion for, for the, for the weird stuff like bricks and mortar literally charlotte to summarize uh if people want to get a hold of you to have a chat to learn more about your experience or to follow you i'll put this in the show notes as well but where's the best place that people can go i mean i really only i'm on instagram so on instagram at accidental female developer exclusively on instagram yeah don't have time to do anything else basically (laughs) that's fair enough um charlotte thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really hope this inspires a lot of people and shows them what is possible thank you for having me if you like this podcast connect with tej on facebook linkedin and youtube for more great content